0: Welcome to the Millennial Recruiter Podcast, the podcast for forward-thinking recruiters. In this episode, I'm joined by the awesome Ben Browning. Ben is an experienced learning and development manager with 13 years of recruitment experience. And in this episode, we talk about the importance of self-leadership. How can you understand yourself even more to create the results that you're looking for? If you enjoy this episode, please make sure you leave a review and feel free to contact both of us any questions that you have. Enjoy. Ben, welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing this morning?
1: I'm very well, thank you, Ben, and, and, and thanks for having me. Thanks for inviting me to, uh, to join you. I believe, it's, I believe it's the hottest day of the year, so I hope we don't, um, don't get too uh, sweltering through this.
0: It's funny, actually, you say that. I'm already melting, Ben. I, I can... <laughs> feel it already but I'm not sure if it's just the heat or the fact we're we're talking about such a sort of interesting topic today so it's funny like how we connected when you sent me like one of the articles that you written about how recruitment sort of changing and tools and kind of got us onto this topic of self-leadership so we're gonna have a really interesting conversation about that so I mean like from your perspective Ben like how have you seen the recruitment industry industry change in the 15 or so years that you've been involved
1: yeah absolutely i mean it's been a, for me it's been a, a a time of really interesting change you know i started in recruitment pretty much around the time that um, linkedin was launched it was a uh, uh, it was kind of right in its uh, embryonic phase I think it was launched in 2002 i started in recruitment in about 2005 and it was kind of a toy on the side it was a bit of an interesting quirk but obviously now it's been become Uh, one of the biggest um, websites in the world. I think, in fact, when it was bought by Microsoft, it was 21st biggest website in the world and and kind of maintained that pace. And so it's dominant, you know. So what we've seen is a massive rise in social uh, social media, but LinkedIn specifically, alongside um, the changing market that we've seen, obviously the current sort of pressures, economic pressures and recession. We've had 10 pretty good years economically and everybody i speak to i think you don't realize how good the market has been until all of a sudden it hits a crash you know that kind of that that positive uptick happens quite slowly and gradually and you lose sight of the fact that times are as good as they are until all of a sudden they're not that good anymore so what do we've got we've got some stuff around the use of social media and linkedin for consultants. We've got a very different economic climate now going into the middle of uh, going into Q3 of of 2020 versus where we were at the start of the year. Um, And I think also, you know, there are a whole range of challenges that promote the need for consultants to develop a greater skill set around self-leadership. And also, I think the millennial recruiter probably has a greater desire for self-leadership than maybe we've ever seen before.
0: Yeah, definitely. It's funny, like some of the conversations we were having before we started the recording was very much aligned to some of the, certainly the top performing people that I've seen over the last couple of years take ownership of their training. It's actually funny, like um, of the training that I had delivered over Zoom, I remember Barum saying about uh, highlighting specific housekeeping rules. And one of the things that I've always said in a in slide, actually, is own your learning. Mm. Because if you own your learning and understand what you really want to take from something, ultimately you'll be able to apply it better. And so, I mean, on, on that note, Ben, what is self leadership to you? How do you see that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that, that self leadership is really kind of structured across a number of elements. You mentioned owning your own learning and thinking about your own development, it's also sort of thinking about your own um, learning style, your own planning style. One of the, one of the tools that I find particularly useful when i'm training is looking at the performance cycle the performance cycle i use quite a basic model it has four elements so we talk about talk about planning talk about doing about monitoring and reviewing and as a manager i would plan and help my consultants ensure that they've got a, a strong plan in place i'd help and make sure that they have you know they're doing what they need to be doing and they're on the phone and and they're making the calls or they're using linkedin effectively or whatever it is you know whatever actions they should be taking that they are then that we're then monitoring that effectively counting the the activities but also that we're providing some kind of analysis and i think that individuals uh recruitment consultants really need to be thinking about okay when I'm working from home or when I've been working from home for a sustained period or when my manager is increasingly focused on billing rather than on, on perhaps supporting and managing me, which may be the case over the coming months, um, who is going to be providing me with the leadership I need and where am I going to be drawing that from? And part of that, or a large part of that is going to come down to looking at that performance cycle. How do I plan and how do I plan best? How do I prepare myself for an effective day? How do I motivate myself through that session? And then how do I keep track of what I've done? And then lastly and importantly, how do I really analyse what I've done? Now, we talked earlier about this idea of, you know, typically KPIs, managers' tools, you know, love them or loathe them. I'm sure there's another debate there, I'm <laughs> sure each one of your listeners has got their own response to, to that question, um, but you can take those numbers and then go a little bit deeper, so how many times did you today ask for a meeting on a call, and how many times did you, were you able to book a meeting, and then let's do some self-reflection, let's think why, why, why didn't you get that meeting? Was it because the opportunity for meeting simply wasn't there? Was it because you didn't ask the question very well? Was it because you didn't build the conversation to that point effectively enough? Which part of the process kind of didn't work for you? And a bit of self-reflection analysis will then help you plan better going forward. So keeping that performance cycle in mind, plan, do, monitor and review. And leading yourself through that journey will help you just refine what you're
0: doing to get better results definitely definitely I think like on that note say obviously if a a consultant is new their manager's not going to be around as much what sort of things do you think they need to be thinking about in terms of their planning and where where do they start on it
1: well, planning, planning is a huge one. And I've, I've done this a couple of times with, different, with, with, with mixed results, right? So when I started training people to plan, I kind of went in with some tools that I thought were really useful and some stuff that, had, that I'd seen work for others and had worked for me. Reality is, everyone plans differently. Yeah. Everyone's approach to planning is very personal. Things that I think are super important. One, where do you plan?
0: Yeah.
1: If you're planning at your desk, you've got different pressures on your mind. If And then secondly, when do you plan? If you're planning at the start of the day, the need to get on the phone is always going to override your need to plan. And secondly, if you plan at the very end of the day, the need to jump back on your Xbox, go and have a beer, go for a walk, talk to somebody else is going to override your, your, your desire to plan. Okay, so beginning and end of the day, typical, you know, you say, when do you plan? Beginning of the day or the end of the day? Most potentially problematic
0: yeah
1: so those are two things to bear in mind where do you plan at your desk may not be the most conducive environment i want your desk to feel like an amphitheater of uh of creativity and an excitement but no one wants to plan in the middle of an amphitheater (laughs)
0: do you know what i mean you know i've never really looked at it that way ben but it's funny you say that because i'm thinking about myself do i actually ever plan in my work environment probably Mm. not not that often to be honest if i'm if i'm really reflecting on it because you're you're right suddenly you get almost immersed in that okay i'm in the office i want to get things done i want to be in my sort of high performance attitude but planning isn't being the same as being like ready to hit the phones or to craft some really interesting emails or LinkedIn messages to people.
1: Yep, absolutely. It's, it's, it's a different pace. It's yeah. a different, uh, now, I should do, I don't know the science enough on this well enough and I'm gonna go away and read it next, but it feels like a different part of our brain, right? It feels like we're using a different part of our brain when we're picking up the phone when we're when we're sat as you say crafting an email for me one of those things around planning is uh part of parts of planning for me include learning reading sales books listening to podcasts those kinds of things drawing those elements in but also thinking about my questions you know thinking about my questioning skill there are questions that i ask for quite a big portion of my recruitment career that don't work you know so 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 having some time away from that to think okay was it the ask? Was it, was it the time I asked? Was it the person I asked? Or was it the question I asked? Very often, the reason I was getting a no were to do with the, the question. So I need that time away from the desk to, mm. to think about some of that stuff. Um, and actually, of course, right now, uh, for people who are, who are still working from home, and I imagine most people are spending the majority of their time from home, even if people are starting to filter back into the office, um, there's a greater opportunity to, you know, even go for a walk and brainstorm while you're you're walking i'm 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 comical i suppose in that i'll I'll often take voice notes while i'm while I'm out for a walk um people see me walking down the street sort of asking myself questions about uh whether whether my clients will meet me or all these sorts of things uh, then um yeah but it's there are there are lots of different elements, but I would say, yeah, think about where you plan, think about when you plan, and then think about what you really consider to be planning. Because the other part of it is in recruitment, we're so keen to do what we call planning is actually preparation. And yeah. for me, that falls into the action step of that process. It's not just making a list of 15 names because you want to make 15 calls today, but it's actually planning. How do I strategically make those calls to make those calls in a way that is efficient
0: yeah of course of course of course and i think you know what i've actually never really thought about the difference between planning and preparation like, one of the things i was quite lucky that i saw was a guy that was average on the phone but billed exceptionally because he was so well prepared Right? Mm-hmm. anyone you, you could go and sit at his desk now ben and you'd get a message saying come up on your outlook call this company and the specific reason for calling that company or a piece of business intelligence to leverage within the call. Anyone could could do it because he was so Mm well-prepared. And I think it's almost funny, like you look at different high performers, almost I would say like 15 or years ago, even before then, a high performer often had like one type of characteristics, whereas Mm. now I see such a difference. I know someone that's, all four on the phone. But very good at understanding uh, LinkedIn, how the algorithm works in terms of being able not just to identify a pool of candidates, but to connect with them. So that his ability to find this hard-to-find candidate is second to none. Yet he's not going to be the person who enjoys speaking to a client about it. Yeah,
1: and and this comes and this comes back to a crucial point around self-leadership, um, and I'll I'll address later on we should we should potentially talk about this idea that uh there are several reasons why managers and directors owners of recruitment businesses who also may be listening to this who who should be looking at providing training or support around their consultants to develop their self-leadership because i think historically this has been a little bit of a i don't want my guys to go off and be totally renegade and doing their own thing and self-leadership isn't about that but what self-leadership is about is having a real purpose and finding the right, finding the right tools to do the job. And also not only finding the right tools, but constantly sort of looking at ways to sharpen the saw. Yeah. So we could say, and we talked about this earlier, and it comes back to that, that self analysis piece, your manager or your, your director or a director could be saying, look, I need you to make X number of calls. And that has historically been the thing that, you know that's, that's been used as a management tool. And that's data. And then we've got analysis. And the analysis says, okay, how many times did you ask for that meeting? How many times did you ask this type of question? How many candidate approaches did you make? And what was, your, what was your return on those in terms of how many times did you book that meeting or how many times did you do that? Other ones, so great examples, recommendations and referrals. Right now, consultants, when we talk about back to basics, what we should be talking about is connecting smaller dots. So recommendations, referrals, getting through your network by, asking, by name gathering. There are really good ways to do that. And there are less, way, less good ways to do that. Once you've got the questions right, your ratios will improve. So I want when I do appraisals with consultants, I want them to come to me and say, "Look, I've, these are my top five core activities, asking for recommendations, asking for meetings, talking to, uh, talking to my clients about diversity and inclusion, those sorts of things, um, for, as three examples. And this is my ratio for how successful those types of calls have been. So we're not talking about KPIs as data, we're talking about analysis of how effective those types of things have been.
0: Definitely. And how much ownership do you think consultants should take over analysis and understanding their behaviours and understanding I what's working?
1: I think the answer is completely dependent on how successful the consultant wants to be. Yeah. right? <laughs> because, because, you know, there are lots of people out there who are doing some amazing, really, really interesting stuff and, and, and rightly flagging stuff around burnout and mental health. I've been on furlough for uh, three months and... And I, I know firsthand from talking to, to colleagues and peers in the industry that for those on furlough and for those not on furlough, the, the past three months have been challenging, uh, have presented a number of anxieties. Um, and we talk around we talk around this idea of burnout. Now, historically, we talked about mental resilience. You talk to sort of an older generation of, of people in the recruitment industry. They talk about re- resilience as basically hold your nose and make another 100 calls. I.e. You might not like it but that doesn't matter. You've just got to do more, right? And yeah. I suspect that, and, and this is the kind of the conversation I have a lot of recruiters. When you've got high emotional intelligence, which is something that, you, that, that often shows up in successful, um, in successful billers, when you've got good emotional intelligence, you kind of know whether the things you're doing are working or not. Yeah. And so holding your nose and doing more of it doesn't make you a better recruiter. And it doesn't mean you're being more effective. It just tells me that you're, able to kind of, you maybe have, haven't got the focus on the things that really matter. The things that really matter are doing a higher volume of the stuff that does work. So that self-analysis is like, well, what do you want to do? Do you want to do the stuff that works for you? Or do you want to do stuff that may be less effective than you believe it could be?
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think it it's weird. It often depends on the people that you're around and you're seeing because sometimes someone might do a certain behavior that works for them but it's not necessarily going to work for you it doesn't necessarily work in the market now i know some really successful recruiters that don't spend a huge amount of time on the phone because over the last 20 years they've just built an incredible network and then someone new might look in and say oh but that person's only doing x amount of calls or their calls are quite short or they leave the office quite early without mm-hmm. ne- necessarily knowing the background it's sometimes very difficult to strike a balance as a new person of what behaviors should i be doing that are going to create success like how do you think consultants can find the behaviors that are working in today's market
1: well, you're absolutely right look so i think that there are a couple of things firstly i'm it's you know the things that i've mentioned so far sound like i'm an advocate for quality over quantity yeah. but actually i believe that quantity breeds quality right so i why... agree with you massively there. right so 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 tiger woods doesn't go i'm awesome at golf i'm not i'm, I'm not going to practice. Yeah. right you know that's that's not how world class performance shows up but I was talking to Andrew Silito about this yesterday 10,000 hours rule the malcolm gladwell principle is misquoted people think you just have to do something a lot to get yeah. better at it to get world class at it it's not actually true what it's about is purposeful practice and what yeah. that means again for me is tracking those results so without wishing to um to, to kind of repeat old oh, ground. I'll give, you, I'll give you a tangible example. Here's something that recruiters could do from today. I want them to think about an objective, or if I was training people now, this is what I'd be saying, I'll be saying, that think about an objective that you have and think about the question that's going to take you to that objective. So maybe it is um, getting a call opening that, that goes from from one a one minute conversation to a three minute conversation what's the best question you can come up with you can engage your client on that would lead to a a longer conversation that you're getting right now um an example that i was using 18 months ago with consultants was lots of the businesses that i work with want their recruitment process to be quicker they feel like they're not getting recruitment process or they haven't historically had a process that is agile enough so we're working with them to introduce video interviews we're working with them to work out how that can be made you know how they can do that um and they've got some concerns around it so we're working with them on that out of interest and i'm going to use you ben as the example client out of interest ben How close do you think you guys are to using videos in your recruitment process? Would you say that that's something that's going to happen later this year? Already doing it, or or not something that's on your radar at all?
0: Um, It's kind of a mix and match, I suppose. Like, video seems like a good idea, but I still like to see people in the office.
1: Sure, makes total sense. Makes total sense. And so, and so, my my consultants asking that question eighteen months ago. We're getting that kind of response yeah kind of maybe not really maybe not really first day of lockdown <laughs> i can imagine <laughs> they were a bit busy right yeah. so 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 so, this, so there's, there's an example yeah. there's an example of a question and if you want to find stuff like that if you want to learn how to build questions like that follow people on linkedin that are, that are recognized sales gurus, I share loads of their content i 'm brilliant i 'll piggyback on all that stuff and, <laughs> and bring that to this market because I think this market needs it. I might even throw in some of my own ideas. you can compare and contrast, but look at Benjamin Dennehy. look at the likes of Josh Braun, um, look at Anthony Ian Areno, um, perhaps we can put a, a, a link in the show notes for that one yeah. it's spell but but those guys are are. Awesome at constructing questions. Now, if I'm a if I'm a recruitment consultant and I want to think about okay, how can I measure and analyze my success and, and be self-led? Here's what you do: you write the question down, you go out and you ask it 20 times tomorrow, and then you see what your results are. Like. And you know, you don't have to get a result as in or your client wants to jump on a Zoom call with you straight away, or you pick up a job, but the result is the client goes, Good question. Or the call that you would have expected to be 30 seconds suddenly becomes two minutes, hmm. right? And and all of, and I'm not talking about call lengths going beyond that because there's other things we can do to then transition into the next stage of the process. But the point here is that if you're improving the quality of your questions daily, it doesn't take too many days, too many weeks before all of a sudden you feel like you're cutting through a lot. Your Your call volumes are suddenly equating to much better conversations from which you then feel like you can ask a closing question. And this is the problem. And as you get, get in the front end of that conversation, right? You're going out asking 100 people whether they've got any jobs yeah. because you haven't got the front bit, right? And that also is where social media plays in. And we can kind of talk a little bit maybe around that message versus medium debate, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think it would be uh, something that we was going to pick up. Message versus medium. What does it even mean, Ben, to you? What does that mean?
1: <laughs> well, Message versus medium for me is, is this idea that, I, I think that LinkedIn provides an a awesome platform for consultants to use. Um, and we hear often this idea of social selling. Well, I think there's as, as, as a piece that you can maybe sell through LinkedIn, but here's, here's, here's the real piece. Where, where consultants should be focusing on LinkedIn is adding to the, 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 the length of their funnel. Right, so mm-hmm. I'll give you an example. If I only had the phone, my funnel starts with me making cold outreach people. So, so call, to calling my clients and trying to get them interested in, in what I'm talking about, trying to, get, trying to gauge their interest and connect with them, qualify them to see whether they should be someone I can potentially sell to and then building my sales cadence with them. But social media gives us this opportunity or LinkedIn in particular, because I think it's erroneous to call it social, it's a, it's a much easier to sell to say, I've got, I'm going to use LinkedIn, I'm going to be um, communicating with my clients and my network through LinkedIn than it is to say to your boss, I want to do more social media. It's kind of something to bear in mind. Um, you know, tweets or, or, or Instagram photos of your lunch is probably not the thing that's going to make this work. But, but here's the thing, if, if, your, if your marketing calls, if your calls were saying, have you got any jobs? For example, classic cliche, no one says that anymore. Have you got any jobs? Okay. And you send out an email, you'd get exactly the same tumbleweed response. Yeah. So what do we need to think about is how can I use LinkedIn more effectively to start a conversation or to position myself as an authority in my market? Here, here's, here's another actionable example. Consultants listening to this could now Google or could after the podcast or could pause the podcast and start Googling top five ways to remove or reduce bias in your hiring process and they could over the next week or so maybe using a, a tool like buffer to manage their, their social media posts um, put out content that has been pre-written by other people blogs and, and, and useful pieces maybe even the indeed blog I mean Crikey, Indeed is really good for this kind of stuff, um, about how to reduce bias in your recruitment process. Why, why, why would you want to do that? Well, if I'm a consultant, I want my clients to see me as somebody whose advice they could get on reducing bias in their recruitment process, because whether they're thinking about it or not, like 18 months ago with video interviews, whether your clients are actively trying to reduce bias in their recruitment process right, right now or not, over the coming weeks and months, they will. So if I'm, if I'm connected to a recruiter who every single day or a few times a week is posting an article or writing a piece or sharing some insights around how I can reduce bias, when I've got a role or when I've got a concern around whether there may be things I'm doing wrong with my recruitment process, I'm going to want to work with that person. And the main benefit to that, of course, is that recruiter can then command a decent margin. You can hold your margin because you say, look, this is what we charge, and the reason we charge for that is we don't just find you the person, but we help you ensure that your recruitment process is the best it can possibly be, and, and, and for a lot of our clients right now, that means as devoid of bias as it can possibly be.
0: Definitely, and I think this is actually a, a really important thing to highlight to our listeners. Where the marketplace is going to change, it, because of, before, if you think about it, Most areas were skill short, you'd struggle to find candidates with the right skill sets. And suddenly with furlough or, or redundancies, that might not be the case as much anymore. Whereas I remember sort of 2010 was that year where I learned that it was talking to clients and giving them value in their processes or anything that they could do to enhance their business meant that that client wanted to call me. The client didn't have temps off me just because I had people available they had temps off me because they wanted me to come down and do an induction with them or they wanted me to do a quick workshop on a skill that those temps needed to enhance their careers and all those little value adds are what's going to be really important in the marketplace moving forward I think absolutely and if, if
1: I look if I look back to the question you asked me at the start of the show you asked, how has recruitment changed or how is recruitment changing? And I think that where we're getting to now is that particularly during these tougher economic, during tougher economic times and during the situation when right now, recruiters and recruitment businesses are going to have to work out what creating value really means. Okay. It is no, for far too long, um, as, uh, as Captain Brewdog, and potentially some others have recently pointed out uh, recruiters have kind of traded on value of, of finding people okay yeah. we've almost often pitched ourselves marketed ourselves as we're a bit like Apple you know you should you should buy my product because it's unique and it's better than my competitions okay that for most markets and as and as Captain Brudog rightly or wrongly pointed out, said, you've got a LinkedIn license, you've got the same candidates as everybody else. Now, I know that relationships play a big part in it, and I know depth in network, and not all candidates are on LinkedIn, and all that kind of stuff, but for most people, your product is not unique. You aren't Apple, you're Amazon. And why does Amazon win? Because it can give you access to any product you want, right? It can give you credible advice on what to buy. I say credible advice, but it will give you some kind of, give you some kind of credibility around, around your decisions. Um, and they make it frictionless, they make it easy for you to buy. I log in to Amazon without thinking about it, and I buy with one click, okay? so. So as recruiters, we need to be easy to work with and we need to be providing our clients with the service that they want. And as I say, removing bias from helping clients remove bias from their recruitment process, helping clients with virtual onboarding, helping clients conduct video interviews, helping clients with their employer brand, like maybe less of an issue now that there's about 50 times the number of candidates that there was three months ago. But still, those sorts of things, that's where you create value you know? And it's also where you compel your client to think about changing. Anthony Inarino says that a salesperson's biggest job in the modern world is to create the case for change. Why would a business that's been using the same recruiter for 10 years want to change? They get great rates, they get great service, they get great candidates. Why would they want to change? Well, all of a sudden, not only getting the candidates is important, but why wouldn't you want to work with somebody who can help you remove bias from your process or do any of those other things that I've, I've just talked about? Surely that additional value is worth at least thinking about switching for.
0: Definitely. And I think this is the thing. It's almost a, a good way to almost conclude this interview. Like, There's something you said at the beginning, the amount of successful businesses or individuals that are carved in a period of uncertainty. Mm -hmm. I think now we're going to see that. And something I've said to a lot of people is everything we do over the next six to 18 months can determine our next five to 10 years. Mm -hmm. If you put in the right things now, not just in terms of like the specific things that you're doing, but also why you're doing it. Understanding why do I want to work for this recruitment business? Why do I want to get these results? If we put all of those things in now and consistently analyze and track, then in 10 years' time, five years' time, you're going to be sat in a really good position. Because we all know the market will flip-flop forever. Like that's the capitalist cycle, unfortunately. There's going to be good times, and there's going to be less good times. And it's almost thinking, okay, what can we do now to really create that long-term success? so that our clients and candidates want to work with us in those times that are a bit easier.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. You know, you, you mentioned before what is, what is is uh, self-leadership, and I think, well, first of all, self-leadership is critical right now. It's formed of purpose, process, and making progress. Yeah. Why are you doing it? What do you want? Why, why, why? <laughs> you know, often we start with why are you in the game? Why are you in... It? I actually think when it comes to purpose, a better way to look at it, particularly for people in the sales environment, is why should your clients want to buy what you do, right? Mm-hmm. Unless, unless your purpose is aligned to what people are gonna pay you for, then you're gonna find the next <laughs> six to 18 months beyond very difficult. So purpose is, is not only a nice to have, like soulful, spiritual thing, it's how you make money, yeah. right? Two, process, know what you do, know what works. Three, progress. Think about your self-development, think about sharpening the saw, think about refining your activities, making sure that all those three things are in place. And the reason, I want to come back to this, the reason that that's going to be really important for business directors, business owners and managers is if I'm a director, I've got a billing manager and I'm not making enough money as a business, I need my billing manager to do what they do really well, which is bill. Mm. I've got a bunch of people who perhaps I've maybe not been working with that long. They've always worked in the office, they've always sat beside me, and now they're working from home. And so that trust thing is maybe a bit more of an issue for me. So I need those people to have self leadership skills. And lastly, looking down the track a little way, as you say, the market will come back, and I'm going to need some managers for the future. And so right now, I need to be helping my staff develop those self leadership skills because self leadership should before the leadership of other people and what we typically do is we get an intuition about someone they're quite well self-led so we promote them to manager to see whether we're right Uh, and the reality is you can train you can train self-leadership you can train people to focus on purpose first to put purpose first you can train people to think about their process think about what works you can train people to make progress
0: and it, it was weird like in the conversation we had before this it almost reminded me of why certain people that I've trained over the last five years have become successful. And it is because of that self-leadership It's they're the, the people that always come to me as a trainer and say, okay, Ben, I've done this. What more do I need to do? Or oh, Ben, can you, can you come and listen to this call with me? What could I have changed to get a better result? And it's something I never really thought about someone being able to train but you've almost knocked an L on the head there, it can be trained. It's something that can be learned. And if you learn it, it is going to be key in in not just success in that, oh, making more money, but success in understanding for yourself where you really want to be in the future and why do you want to be there and what then can you do to enable that? I think it's the thing, right? You've, yeah, you've even highlighted something massive to me, Ben. Self-leadership is going to be hugely important for the future.
1: Yeah, and look, everyone listening to this podcast and anyone that's listened to previous episodes of this podcast has taken the first step with that. We're, we're, we're kind of a naturally self led group, right, because we're seeking out this information. But as I say, I think for those people, particularly in leadership roles right now, this is something to think about how you're developing the self-leadership of people around you. And what difference would it make if you trusted your team or if you could help your team to self-lead whilst they're doing the kind of work from home, working remotely or, or going from that. And what could you learn from them if you gave them that platform to self-lead as well? So as I say, if people want to, if people want to talk to me more about that and, and, and feel like like we do, that that's a, a, a kind of an interesting space to develop, you should reach out to me on LinkedIn and we can pick up that conversation. I'm really interested to to continue to talk to people about this because it's a space that I feel has been underdeveloped within the recruitment um, industry for a number of years for a variety of reasons, and, and and I'm going to be continuing to sort of work on this 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 kind of piece around self-leadership to help as many people as possible, as help as many recruiters and recruitment businesses as possible to really fulfil their potential.
0: Definitely, definitely, and for all of those people listening, you can go back to the. Um wherever you find the podcast with the notes and in there you'll find a link to Ben's LinkedIn profile but also any of the resources that Ben mentioned. I'm going to get him off the call now just to give me a a massive list of all the different sales (laughs) trainers because I think it is taking ownership of your learning is probably the most important thing I've seen in terms of creating success. Thank you so much for being part of this show, Ben, and thank you for everyone that's tuned in
1: absolutely loved it
0: thanks for thanks for having me and uh for everyone listening if if you enjoyed the show it's always great if uh, you can leave a review it means that the show gets highlighted to more people but the most important thing is to connect with us i'm always here to answer uh, any questions the thing that and i'm sure ben agrees with me as well the thing that we both love seeing is success within recruiters so thank you so much to everyone that's listened and i will see you soon for the next show